Hi, I'm Ebony Rio from Monash University, Melbourne, and I'm here with David Opar from Australian Catholic University in Melbourne, Australia. We're the guest editors representing Sports Medicine Australia for the upcoming BJSM issue on the lower limb. It is our pleasure to welcome you to a BJSM podcast featuring two superstars. Everyone should Google them, otherwise we'll spend 20 minutes reading out their bio. Briefly, Darren Burgess is current high-performance manager at Port Adelaide Football Club in the AFL. He's been head of fitness and conditioning at Liverpool Football Club and completed his PhD in movement analysis of AFL and soccer. Welcome, Darren. Thanks, Ebony. Thanks, Dave. Good to, have, uh, good to be on board. Andrew Wallace, another all-round superstar, is head physio at St Kilda Football Club in the AFL has been involved in elite sport for more than 10 years. He consults privately at Melbourne Orthopaedic Group and Malvern Sports Medicine Centre, and he's managed to squeeze in completing three Ironmans in his spare time. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Emily. Hi, Dave. Um, really thrilled to be here. Excellent. Now, to set the stage, we want to discuss how well or not the multidisciplinary team works in the elite sport environment. All right, so we start with... You, Darren, just as a, a bit of an introduction, could you let us know who makes up your multidisciplinary team at, at Port Adelaide and what their roles are? No problem, Dave. We've got uh, three full-time physiotherapists. Um, we have a sort of two consulting doctors, one who's um, a, a, probably their half-time and another who's their sort of quarter-time. And we have uh, six full-time in the in the fitness department, uh, of which two of those are, are PhD, full-time PhD students. Um, uh, we also have a full-time, uh, if you like, athletic trainer. Um, responsibilities of physios and, and the doctor are pretty obvious. We have uh, one of the physios is our head of rehabilitation and we have uh, uh, two strength and conditioning staff that are full-time. Um, one who's uh, also got nutrition qualifications and acts as our, our nutritionist. We have two sports scientists full-time, uh, myself, um, uh, who sort of oversees the department as well as one sort of generalist. So that, that makes up the, uh, the six in, in the sports science. And Andrew, what about you at St Kilda? Yeah, similar sort of uh, setup, Dave. We've got a uh, high performance manager and under him uh, we've got one sports scientist and then we've got three uh, S&C guys. Um, as well as uh, some students who help out pretty much just with the data production. Uh, three physios, a um, couple of full-time and one set 0.75. Um, we have a unique role in that the rehab is shared between one of the uh, S&C guys and one of the physios, so we think that gives the best coverage from uh, both sides. Um, a couple of docs, one full-time and, and one probably 0.25, and then we have a dietitian uh, and a podiatrist and numerous myotherapists and trainers that uh, service the boys. So you've touched on it there, Andrew, but perhaps you might be able to elaborate on it a little bit. Um, from your perspective, what's the, the great value in the multidisciplinary approach? And then by the same token, uh, what are some of the issues that can arise as a result of that as well? well I think with regard to the rehab, it's, it's fantastic to have both sides. I mean, we have... We have uh, the ability then when you're doing rehab uh, sessions for the physio to prep for player um, or players uh, and then go out and uh, combine with the S&C guy doing the running program 
Uh, it also gives a bit more hands on deck. It means that a coach doesn't necessarily have to be there for, for the one on one skills and, uh, you know, the more agility drills. And then in the gym, uh, the SNC guy really takes over and covers that bit. And we just think it gives a very complete, uh, product. Um, as far as the planning goes, then a lot more goes into that. It's, it's those two guys plus some input from, um, the high performance manager, the physio and the doc. So overall, we think it gives a really nice global uh, global effect. And then, so Darren, from your perspective, is obviously a room for a multidisciplinary approach, but are there any issues that can then come from lots of different opinions? And then as a high-performance manager, how do you manage that and deal with that? Yeah, I think there are, there are always issues when you, you've got people from different um, sort of training backgrounds, I guess, um, you know, when you have a, uh, the medical and the, and the, uh, S&C, often, often there's, there's healthy debate within our department about how to treat, you know, different injuries and, uh, not so, sorry, not to treat them, but how to rehab them. Um, and also training loads and things like that. I think as long as the communication is, is good, the issues, I mean, there's never really been any significant issues. It's just been some good healthy debate about, uh, about how a certain player might be might be rehabbed um, more effectively or or, uh, or or more efficiently. So um, yeah, like, like I would be lying if I said there weren't any issues. But it's it's um, uh, we've got a really good open line of communication amongst our team, and and we we have a, a fantastic rapport amongst the group. So um, yeah, there's been some issues in the past with some groups that I've worked with, but uh, but certainly not this one. Uh, can, Andrew, I, can I just add into that that I think. Um, what Darren's saying is dead right. I think the other thing that we have is a little bit of diversity from backgrounds, uh, which, which Darren's obviously well aware in his group. But I think if you have football background, you have soccer background, you have athletics background, then what that does do is it does give you different options on how to load an athlete during the rehab program. And I think that that, that opens up a, a lot of really good options as well. Um, sometimes maybe opens up too many options, but... But it's better to have more options and be able to fine-tune them to have uh, little. So do you paper, rock, scissors to see who wins in the end? <laughs> Pretty oh. much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, we have uh, we have good healthy debate too, um, <laughs> as they do at Port. But um, no, we, we often go with the majority rule, uh, and, and I think that's sensible. Uh, and, you know, of course... Not every hamstring, for example, is, is treated the same, so it is good to have different programs. Some may respond better to, to more speed work early and some may need a bit more volume before you get into speed work. So, uh, so that sort of uh, debate is often uh, raging. Excellent. If we put a scenario to you now, an elite club, and the sport doesn't really matter because I think, um, as you guys have touched on, the issues are likely to be the same. Okay, you've got five new hamstring injuries in the first two weeks of the pre-season matches. You've got a new strength and conditioning coach, and they're bringing that very different background. They might be from, um, you know, track and field, for example. You've had a 50% increase in running load um, in the pre-season. So, Andrew, the coach is after blood. Five new hamstring injuries. Who gets the blame for these? <laughs> uh, straight to me, hey. Oh, always the high performance measure. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. We have a, very much a, a one-in-all-in um, approach, uh, and in fact, uh, you know, we had a similar situation this year. But uh, I think it's uh, it's always very easy to blame someone else. I think uh, it's much better to to uh, take the credit where credit is due as a group, but also to take the blame uh, when it is due as a group. 
because otherwise uh, you fracture and it's it's very hard to come back from that. So we, we don't play the blame game. Uh, but what we do do is um, as a group we sit down and, and we look for answers. Uh, and sometimes as, as hard as you look, they aren't there. Um, but all you can say is that on review you try and turn up one or two things that make you better as a group. If the coach wants blood, someone probably will get the blame. Um, in, in, you know, in, in that sort of high pressure environment. Um, but, uh, you, you just need to, uh, stick together and, and, um, there may well be a reason, as, as Andrew said, with all your discussions and your, you, you know, your investigations and all that sort of stuff in that type of scenario, there probably is a reason. Um, and it might be the, the increase in load that you spoke about, you know, 50% load. Is a, is a pretty big increase over a pre-season, so it may well be that. But um, I think as long as you all um, ha- uh, keep those communication lines open and, and have the discussion, then then I think that'll stand you in good stead. I think the other thing that's important sometimes is if there is someone who's going to cop blame, then you know I'm happy to put my hand up and cop it if it's my fault. But if you show to the coaching staff that when you do feel something's gone wrong. That, that someone is happy to accept the blame, then the next time the, the blame game merry-go-round comes around to you uh, as a group, then then often the blowtorch doesn't go on as hard because they realise that you're quite critical of your own uh, um, performance and you'll praise yourself as a group anyway. Yeah, exactly right. And and I'm fairly certain, uh, you know, the best coaches in the world have made mistakes every now and then, so uh, it's only <laughs> it's only human for the rest of us to, to make them and I've made plenty and, and I'm sure... I'll make plenty more. So, Andrew, do you rush these guys back to try and keep coaches happy or is a recurrent injury more of a headache? Uh, look, I, my personal thought is that recurrence uh, is an issue um, and I think the important thing to say, Ebs, is that often when you have, a, if we're still talking about this hamstring scenario, um, often if you have a cohort of injuries, the natural thought then is that they should all be treated the same, whereas in actual fact, within that cohort or cluster of injuries, you can have very variable injuries. Um, you know, you might have one very strongly tendon-related hamstring, uh, intra, intramuscle tendon I'm talking. You might have, you know, a typical musculotendinous junction, but it's only grade one. You might have a grade two. So, and, and some might be medial and some might be lateral. So I think it's really important to actually step back and say, well, let's treat either, each of these uh, on their merits. Uh, and then, you know, some of them might be two weeks. Um, you know, the traditional hamstring is probably more like four weeks. And likewise, some of them might be six. But I think it's, it's fraught with danger to feel that you have to rush each of them back. Um, and, yeah, we, I think the AFL in general, it is fair to say, has gone a more conservative route with regard to return to sport with any of the soft tissue injuries. Yeah, I think there's probably um, there's pressure and there's pressure that we'd be lying if we said there's the same pressure uh, involved in in returning. If I use sort of a Liverpool example, um, returning Stephen Gerrard from injury to to one of the academy kids that's training with the first team. So um, there's certainly pressure from coaches and rightly so to get their their better players uh, back on track. And and as a um, a sports medicine team. Um, you, are, you absolutely feel that pressure, and, and uh, you know, as long as you can, as long as you can tick all the boxes and ensure that the, the to your best of your ability, that the reoccurrence isn't a risk by bringing them back early, then, then uh, yeah, we, we've certainly um, taken some risks 
with with some high profile players um, in order to get them uh, you know back on the park for some important games and and uh, yeah you, you, that, that's absolutely the nature of the job is assessing that risk um, you know versus the reward of having that player play versus the risk of giving you know a, a potentially a reoccurrence. What Darren says is really interesting because uh, one of our previous coaches who will remain nameless once huh. said to me. Uh, if, if you're not breaking at least one of these guys every year, then you're not pushing them hard enough. Uh, it's an interesting comment because I think they expect uh, us to push the envelope and, and maybe one or two failures on our behalf is not such a bad thing if, if the overall outcome is that you're getting more players back a week or two quicker. Yeah, I, I uh, work with a physio for a long time called Phil Coles, who's a fantastic physio, and, and he used to have a theory that I, I agree with. If for every 10 hamstring injuries, if you can shave one week off them, you've brought, you know, 10 extra games into players, um, and if one of those happens to, to fail, that might cost you three games, so you're still seven ahead. You know, now that, that's a, a really simplistic way to look at it, but, uh, it makes, certainly makes some sense. And what about going outside of the club, you know, overseas for the magic injection? Is this something athletes are requesting, Darren, the funky treatment? Yeah, look, it's, it's, uh, it's a really common prevalent thing in the, in the Premier League, certainly, because the amount of Spanish, Brazilian and Portuguese physios that, that we had sort of, uh, wandering through, um, the club at, at, at Liverpool was, was fairly dramatic. Um, at different times and and um, the default mechanism of, of the fitness coach and the physio and the doctor is to say no 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 um, you know we'll, we'll do things our way but uh, I, I certainly learned a whole lot from from a lot of the uh, a lot of the incoming um, um, physios and doctors that that players requested you know private treatment and 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 I would go along and and I traveled to Brazil with one of our players and uh, some of the stuff that they were doing over there was just fantastic, and I, I still use it today. So uh, it can be dangerous, um, but it also can be really, really beneficial and certainly opened my eyes to to, um, to procedures and practices I've never actually seen before and, and still use them, as I said, today. So um, it can be dangerous, but as long as there's full communication between the club and, and the um, external guru, if you like, then then that's probably okay. Does the club pay for that? Uh, well, certainly in the case of the Premier League, they do. Um, Port Adelaide, not quite as affluent as Liverpool. So, um, <laughs> we, we have a few, uh, uh, but, we, you know, we, don't, we tend not to have that issue too much um, at Port. But I, I sort of really encourage the players to say, you know, if they go and see somebody for whether it might be, you know, acupuncture or, or whatever it might be, um, come and tell me about it, and I'll, I'll certainly contact that person and, and just have a bit of a chat and, and, and see where they're at. I, I don't think I've ever stopped a player from seeing somebody unless I thought it was really contraindicated to, to some of the, the um, you know, the procedures that we had on board. A couple of things that I would add was just that I think uh, sometimes you question was do, do the players seek that? Often what we see, um, certainly uh, at Aussie Rules level, is the coaching staff or managers of a player may request that, and the reason being now is there's such a transition between clubs from coaching staff and obviously managers cover 
clubs, when I'm talking about managers here, I'm talking about player managers, not managers of football clubs. Um, they may manage players that are at certain clubs that have already sought someone overseas or someone interstate. So they often sow the seed in the player's head. That's, that's often where it comes from. The seed is from there rather than the player themselves. And sometimes I think as a, as a football department, a medical department, um, strength and conditioning department, you have to be seen to be offering what other clubs are offering, um, even if it doesn't come to fruition. Um, and then you need to take each case on its merit, um, assess it, is seeing, as uh, Darren said, the guru, is that appropriate for this player? And if it is, then, then you need to back them and, and make it part of your model. Okay, guys, so using that theme of hamstring strain injury then when we're looking at return to play Andrew who does the the final call of the final decision come down to yeah Dave I think that's a really interesting question and often it, it varies at different clubs um, our high performance manager Adam Basil uh, our head doc Tim Barber and myself in the head physio role often sort of uh, share this decision uh, and, and it does often come down to a vote um, often two to one uh, certainly if it's, if it's more medically based, then Tim will have the final say. You know, I guess, uh, examples, we, we don't have any say in obviously things like concussion, but I'm talking here about musculoskeletal things. So if it was more bone related, the doc would probably have the say. Uh, if it's related to, you know, more than, uh, than musculotendinous sort of lesions, then often, you know, Adam and I would have far more input and therefore it comes down to a vote. But we like to think it's uh, it's uh, quite amicable for voting, not one of animosity. And Darren, what about for you guys? Yeah, we, I probably um, I probably defer a bit to our doctor um, heavily to to Mark Fisher with these sorts of things. But but probably early on, um, when when I first came back from England, where where the physios that I worked with over there were really really aggressive. Um, in terms of their rehab, particularly for soft tissue stuff. So I probably pushed our, our physios really hard in terms of the, the rehab and, and, and probably in, in, in one or two occasions uncomfortably hard. And, and so whilst I never ever overrode, you know, their decisions on, on return to play or anything like that, but during the rehab process, I probably, um, I was probably a bit more aggressive, um, uh, given the, the model that I'd come from. Um, so uh, ultimately, it's it's uh, I always defer to the doctor, um, and we've got an outstanding one in Mark Fisher. Um, um, but uh, it's generally a group decision. But certainly during the rehab process, I was probably a bit more aggressive than than most. I just say it's probably it's probably a little disappointing because uh, maybe we were going to uh, attack each other. But uh, <laughs> what I think it shows potentially is that there there may be some evolution in in this sports medicine slash strength and conditioning sort of department where maybe there is a lot more like-mindedness and, and we do really integrate well and work well together um, and using healthy debate um, for the benefit of the athlete, really. Andrew, Darren, on behalf of Ebony, uh, myself, and also the British General of Sports Medicine, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to record this uh, BJSM podcast. Uh, for the listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, and we hope you look forward to the BG, BJSM and Sportsmed Australia upcoming issue on the lower limb. 